Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, from Inside Church in the Chicagoland area, James Ward talked with me recently about difficult issues surrounding race and how he is devoted to confronting a victim mentality. Next, it's Jeffrey Johnson of Israel Today Ministries offering insight into the prophetic significance of the nation of Afghanistan in light of what has been occurring there. And on this edition of The Intersection, Ian Henderson is devoted to the purity of the Christian mind. He is the founder of the Naked Truth Project of Visible Ministries, and in our recent conversation, he provided perspective into the scourge of pornography and how its harmful effects can be countered biblically. Finally, his voice is heard on Faith Radio, and he visited with me at the 2021 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Dallas. Charles Morris of Haven Ministries, who is heard on the feature Anchor Today, offered some insight into the work of his ministry and the power of encouragement. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. James Ward, founder and pastor of Insight Church based in Skokie, Illinois, in the Chicago area, shared about the background of his update of the book Zero Victim, now subtitled Overcoming Injustice with a New Attitude. And he provided some principles in overcoming what he sees as a destructive victim mentality. Here now from that Meeting House conversation is James Ward. We know who the author of Division is from a spiritual mm-hmm. standpoint. So so tell me what you see as the way that this mentality, you mentioned the zero victim mentality, the, the victim mentality, how that plays into what we're seeing in creating this whole atmosphere or feeding on the atmosphere of racial tension in our country. Sure. So there's a few basic, you know, you know, premises that have to be established. You know, Bob, when, when, as our nation is becoming more of an an anti-Christ culture, and we're rejecting God. You know, the importance of the statement "One Nation Under God." I cannot overemphasize the importance of America being and remaining a nation under the influence of God and His Word. The consequences and the fallout of a nation that is not under God, in our case, America, is when the presence of God leaves a society human conscience goes with it. You know, morality begins to implode when the presence of God is not, you know, mainstream throughout our culture. I I share in the book that there are three kinds of law that governs every society, spiritual law, moral law, and civil law. But we're only familiar with civil law in America, and we're rejecting spiritual and moral law. But civil law is the weakest kind of law And it is really useless without spiritual and moral law because of the fact that you cannot legislate morality. Civil law is incapable of making better people. You cannot legislate morality in the hearts of people. That is why we have to have spiritual and moral law. So let's bring that into what's happening in the United States of America today. We find ourselves in a situation that in the absence of spiritual law and moral law being established from the scriptures, you're now seeing that that humanism is taking over. You're now seeing that, that victimization and hyper-emotionalism, all of these things are beginning to, 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 to arise, and even like critical race theory. I tell folks we don't need critical race theory. We need critical race theology. Theory is just man's idea. We need theology. We need God's understanding about what's happening in society. And so, again, you begin to see critical race theory, cultural hegemony, um, all these issues with intersectionality that are now starting to redefine 
morality in our society because we've gotten away from the word of God. And that leads us into a leads us into a place where victimization, again, is the soil from which it all grows. It's really the foundation and the springboard for all of these ideas that are destroying our nation. So let's talk about the the racial tension and the the accusations, of course, of of racism. And we know that racism is a condition of the human heart. It's deplorable to God. It doesn't please him. It's sinful. We need to rid ourselves of it, not only individually, but culturally. So when we look at this zero victim mindset, how does that apply specifically in dealing with issues surrounding race? Sure. So let me give you the faith perspective of it. When I talk about zero victim mindset, the reason it's so relevant, Bob, is because zero victim mindset is the mindset of Jesus himself. If you think about this, with all the talk about injustice that's happening in the world today, the greatest injustice happened to the only innocent man that ever lived. He mm. was crucified on the cross for the sins of someone else. And Bob, while in the act of still being crucified or victimized and suffering this injustice, He's already praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is the standard of how we deal with injustice in our, in our lives from a faith perspective, through love and forgiveness. Every other injustice is a lesser injustice. And so when there's racial issues, when there's some kind of victimization in the workplace, um, you know, you know from, from sexual immorality or any of the kind of things that happen in life, the world is perfectly designed to make victims out of all of us and to commit injustice against all of us. We've got to hold up the standard of faith that empowers us to overcome those victimizations and that injustice with a new attitude. And that is the practical application of, of a zero victim mindset and why America needs this message right now. It's the only way to push the reset button on race relations and political relations is to start with a zero victim mindset. It calls people to call opponents, calls the opponents out of their end zone to the 50 yard line so that we can have a reset and really begin to talk and understand comprehensively how to move forward. James Ward here on The Intersection. You can go to the website zerovictim.com to find out more. Next, it's Jeffrey Johnson, founder and president of Israel Today Ministries. In our overall conversation, he talked about the concept and work of the ministry and offered a look at the significance of Afghanistan in Bible prophecy. Also in our conversation, he described his book, Behold His Yeshua, Psalm 91. Here now with some insight into Afghanistan and Bible prophecy is Jeffrey Johnson. First of all, let me say this to uh, all our men and women who served in Afghanistan. They are the best of the best that that, uh, we have, and uh, with great respect. Uh, we we have for them, and we say thank you for their incredible beyond measure sacrifice. Uh, now, with regards to prophecy, uh, if you look at and, and you know, there's a lot to be said here, and I'll say it, it quickly here in a short time. If uh, your listeners would read uh, Daniel 11, uh, talking about the Antichrist. Uh, setting up uh, his his uh, uh, headquarters, if you will, in Jerusalem. He talks about uh, the king of the south, Egypt, king of the north. Uh, that's a connection to Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 9. Um, and he talks about the, uh, the power from the east that bothers him. 
if you read a Revelation 9 and 16 and chapter 16, uh, chapter 9 and chapter 16, you will read of the kings of the east. Basically, uh, the long and the short of it is uh, there will be uh, two major wars during what is called the tribulation period. Uh, one is Gog and Magog, which uh, comprises a king, uh, power from the north, which is more than likely uh, refers to Russia and Persia, which is modern day Iran, and a coalition that comes against Israel. Uh, in the context of the latter years, but also in the context of the latter years, the kings of the east. Now, it's referring to geographically east of the Euphrates River. The land promised to Israel is as far north as Lebanon, down through the Negev in the south, uh, part of Egypt, all the way to the Euphrates. So when you read about the kings of the East, it's referencing those nations and tribes and entities within that arena. And basically, Afghanistan, historically, it's been a no-win situation. From the Soviet Union, lost, the British Empire lost, uh, there, Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan. And you, you can read the history. Uh, it's a very difficult uh, area and became a country in the 1700s. Uh, principally, the people, uh, ideology, their ideology is radical uh, Islamic fundamentalism. And at the end of that day, they do not like the Jew. They do not like Israel. So you have these moving parts. In, in terms of Bible prophecy, at the very least, Afghanistan could be a launching area for the 200 million troops that are mentioned in Revelation. Uh, China's very much interested in Afghanistan, as well as uh, Russia, as of uh, the headlines in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so it could very well be part of, Afghanistan could very well be part of the kings of the East that will uh, align themselves with the nations and tribal areas of uh, the Battle of Gog and Magog. So very simply, it's part of the whole. It's it's part of the uh, players on, on the chessboard. And Afghanistan was never and could never be a democracy. It's just so complicated. Uh, and the irony, you know, Russia's uh, wants to help them so, quote, unquote, normalize. And you and I both rooted for Rambo in that movie where they were fighting the Russians, you know, protecting the Taliban. But, you know, things have changed. Uh, Afghanistan, at the end of the day, is at least part of the power block, the kings of the East, which, yes, would involve China, uh, Asian nations, the Asian bloc, Russia, Afghanistan, uh, Islamic fundamentalism. So that's at the very least, Bob. Jeffrey Johnson here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website israeltodayministries.org. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. 
There you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. Also through that homepage, there are links to the podcast in the Media Center as well as to the iTunes link. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from The Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Well, the intersection continues now with the CEO of the Naked Truth Project, which is an arm of Visible Ministries. His name is Ian Henderson. In our conversation, he shared about the scope of pornography and how individuals and churches can deal with it biblically. Here now from that conversation is Ian Henderson. I think it is important for us um, to recognize that this isn't something that's kind of happening out there, as it were, you know, in society, but not but not in here in the in the church community. It, it absolutely is something that Christians are struggling with, wrestling with, um, dealing with, as well as those without faith. And um Interestingly, though, where there is a difference is that willingness to talk about it. When I started Naked Truth, I, I very quickly found out that, that porn was taboo. And um, it's mm. taboo to talk about it in the church, to kind of mention it, as you say. That's why we've kind of used this title of P word. Um, and it's it's taboo to suggest there might be anything wrong with it in, in why mainstream culture. Um, so when we started talking about things like addiction or, you know, broken relationships or uh, even some of the exploitation and abuse that happens in, in the industry, out, out in culture, people are going, well, what do you mean? There's, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a bit of harmless fun. So what was really interesting is in both spheres, if you like, the church and culture, there is this kind of taboo to talk about porn. Um, what I think we've found, particularly one of the reasons why we're doing this event, is for many church leaders in particular, um, they are aware. They are aware that that switch from analog to digital has made a difference. They are aware that their congregations are struggling, but not just as users, as parents, for example. You know, so many parents concerned about the world that their young people are are growing up in, and so. As, as leaders, there is there is this kind of desire to try and support maybe those who, who struggle themselves, but also support the partners, the spouses of those who struggle, or parents or, or youth workers or, or whomever. Um, and so we, we knew that that was something that, that pastors were thinking about, but very few have been equipped to talk about it. Um, and I think when you're not sure what to do, you stay silent. And I think one of the reasons maybe why porn is in the shadows when it comes to the church is partly those who 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 are using it or those who have been impacted by it in another way. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of self-hatred. And so it's not something you speak up about. But for the leaders who aren't talking about it from the pulpit, uh, for example, I think maybe the reason they're not doing it is because they don't feel resourced. They don't feel equipped. They don't know what to do. And so if they do start mentioning porn, they're gonna. They're fearful. They might be opening up a can of worms that they they're not equipped to to deal with. Because the truth is, they weren't 
trained on that mm. when when they were trained as uh, at seminary or wherever they they uh, bible college theological college they weren't trained how do you help someone deal with porn um and it's maybe only in recent years that sort of topic has been taught for leaders in answer to your question what what's what's the antidote i mean i think the reality is um to get informed first um you know it is a complicated issue whether that's from neuroscience and what porn does to the brain all the way through to emotionally what's going on and spiritually what's going on uh for individuals and so i think to be informed around how that multifaceted understanding is essential for leaders so many great leaders we know make mistakes at key moments Mm. uh because they've just not got the understanding so leaders for example telling a a partner of a user uh when 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 they come seeking help and support well you know maybe it's uh you know you really need to kind of just forgive them and keep this quiet and don't talk to anyone about it uh, and, you know, maybe actually you've got to kind of think about your marriage and whether there's more you could be doing. I mean, really unhelpful thing to say to somebody who's sort of just discovered that someone's been hiding something from them for 20 years. Um, not that some of those things aren't true in terms of the journey and the process, but perhaps not the first thing you say. Um, yeah, sure. And so it's it's even that, you know, even a, a, a church leader, for example, a small group leader, who's probably the person who would hear about it first rather than maybe the senior leader in a church, knowing actually I need to understand what this might feel like for a partner. I need to understand some of the things that might be going through their minds so that I can, my response is, is, full of empathy and as well as grace and truth. And so even, even kind of having that level of understanding is essential. Um, And so I would say understanding is a big one and that's why we're doing this event and then resources, knowing where to signpost people to, how to point people in the right direction. Ian Henderson here on the intersection. You can learn more by going to the ministry website, thenakedtruthproject.com. Well, finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast from Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2021 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Dallas, Charles Morris, president and speaker of Haven Ministries, who is heard on Anchor Today on Faith Radio, shared about the need for hope in light of the COVID pandemic and shared exciting news about the expansion of that ministry. From that conversation, Here now is Charles Morris. I guess the thing, Bob, that's grieved me the most the last uh, over a year and a half now is the conflict uh, with Christians. We should not be fighting each other. (laughs) Our battle is not with each other. Uh, You know, it's it's almost like, uh, you know, we poo-poo the idea of love one another and, uh, you know, love others as Christ has loved you. Uh, that too often, I fear, has gone into the background and not into the foreground. And, uh, and you know, we're not called to that. That's not going to advance the kingdom. And uh, we're here at this convention, and, and I don't know of anybody that preaches harder and faster and stronger than Tony Evans. And he, he was preaching about that uh, just uh, the other night and the fact that Christians have no business beating up other Christians. We're here to support each other and love each other, even when we sometimes disagree with each other. Uh, our bond is Christ, 
our unity is the gospel. And, uh, and it's not what we would do with our politics. It's not what we do with the complaining about things. It's just this love of Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, let's shift to some of your recent ministry opportunities or endeavors. The last time you and I had the opportunity to talk face-to-face was at an NRB convention a number of years ago. You had just been to Iraq. In fact, as I recall, I believe that you had filed a report for our network from Iraq, and Mm, you came by the booth to give us a recap of what God has done. You were sharing or what God had done at that time in the, the nation of Iraq. Give me an idea about what you are seeing God do through your ministry in other parts of the world. Okay. Uh, and I and I wish I could tell you we were doing a broadcast in Farsi and Arabic, <laughs> but we're, we're not doing that. However, um, it's pretty embarrassing for a, for a ministry that was founded in California where more than half the people in the state speak Spanish. It's a little embarrassing that we waited until we were 84 years old to start a program in Spanish. Uh, But we finally did that. And uh, a medical doctor in Florida uh, had been after me for a long time to come to Cuba. And we finally did go to Cuba maybe five years ago. And, uh, and we, I took some of our board members with us. Uh, some other business people came as well. And we just had a strong sense that we needed to be doing ministry there. But there was no radio station uh, that covered all of Cuba. And obviously, it's a communist country. They don't allow, they allow one 15-minute Christian program a month. Mm. on the radio, on Radio Havana. So we just were sitting there in rocking chairs at the retreat center where we were staying in Cuba, and we just had this sense and we prayed. No outlet. Didn't know how it was going to happen. And about a year later, I was at this meeting in another place, and the president of Transworld Radio, who I've known for years, he walked up to me and we shook hands and how you doing? And we passed the formalities. But after that, he said, Charles, we've had this 100,000 watt radio station on the island of Bonaire in the Caribbean. And we've really, it's been on my heart to increase it back up to the 500,000 watts. We're raising, I think it was $3 million uh, for a new transmitter. And we're going into Cuba directionally. 500,000 watts. We picked this station up in California Mm. at our headquarters. Uh, It covers 11 states of America. But the the bottom line is uh, the gospel is going forth in Cuba. Uh, And and when he said that, I just said, thank you, Lord. He said, you need to come on this. And I said, well, we're praying about starting a Spanish program, but we didn't have an outlet until you just brought it up. <laughs> it's the greatest revival, Bob, in wow. the Western Hemisphere right now. Charles Morris here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to getanchor.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast. We are nearing the end of this week's edition. You can learn more at meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. 
You will find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can also find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as to the iTunes feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.